morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. We want you to know, as we want those who are listening and watching online, Crossroads is a safe place. This is a place where we believe that you can find hope, and the hope that we believe is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we encourage you, whether you're here in the auditorium today or whether you're joining us online, listening or watching, keep coming back because we believe God wants to do something big in your life, and it happens through the power of Jesus Christ. Again, we're excited that you're here. Uh, if today is the first day on our property, again, we want you to come back. So again, uh, continue to join us. Uh, and it's really interesting. I did not realize this, but we have tons of people joining us online from around the country. And one of the big concentration, concentrated areas, uh, there's a big concentration from Texas. Uh, and it's, re it's really interesting uh, because, I, you know, I never would have thought, but there are a lot of people who watch us online from Texas and, and around uh, Dallas, San Antonio, some of the different areas down there. And again, we welcome them. We've got people in California. We've got people in Japan. We've got people all over the world that watch us. So it's really interesting for me to kind of look at our uh, data and kind of see where people are logging in and watching and listening from. So again, we want to welcome those who are here and those who are joining us online. You know, you heard me say last week that uh, one of the things that I'm constantly hearing as far as comments is I'm hearing people say, you know what, I would never have dreamed that I'm seeing the things happening in my life that I'm seeing happening. Can anybody agree with that? I mean, you would never believe that you're living through the times that you're living through right now because we think, you know, I just never pictured that actually happening in my lifetime. Uh, just replay back in your mind to March of 2020 because that's where it seems that uh, the craziness kind of started. And, and, and not only did it start in March of 2020, it's like to me the craziness just continues to happen. Uh, you look at what the Bible says, and people talk about it all the time. They say, you know, there's wars and rumors of wars, and there's fires, and there's pestilence, and there's famine. All that stuff's happening right now. And, and then one of the things you hear people talk about, you see them say, and then the Bible says there are going to be earthquakes in diverse places. I told you last weekend that I heard a friend of mine describe the last 17 months. And, and, and he said it this way. He said, it's like it all started with an earthquake. And then that earthquake was in March of 2020. And that earthquake has been followed by a series of aftershocks. And if you know anything about earthquakes, then the thing that you know is that the larger the earthquake is, then the larger and more numerous the aftershocks are going to be that follow that earthquake. And honestly, researchers tell us that it's usually not the earthquake that does most of the damage, but it's actually the aftershocks, because the aftershocks can actually be more severe than the earthquake actually was. And researchers have also determined that even when an earthquake doesn't do a lot of damage, there is trauma that can be traced back and be associated with that earthquake. There is this, what they call this kind of like a, a PSD type of stress disorder. And it impacts people who were affected in the area of the earthquake. 
And if we'll just stop for a moment and give that whole idea of this, this concept of an earthquake, I think we can relate to that because that's exactly what we experienced in our world and in our life about 17 months ago. That's, that's exactly what, what the last 17 months have been like. I mean, think about it. Trace it back to March 2020. Again, we went into the month of March, and everything right here was fine. And all of a sudden, within a couple of weeks in the month of March, our world shut down. And when our world shut down, church stopped, meetings stopped, going places stopped, work stopped, everything shut down. And it was like an earthquake. And ever since March 20th, of tw or March 2020, we have continued to feel aftershock after aftershock. And those aftershocks simply do not seem like they're ever going to come to an end. I mean, even this past week, we've had to deal with the aftershocks. And, and one of the areas that most people will say that this earthquake and these aftershocks have impacted them and affected them is in the area of their finances. So, so maybe the thing that, that you're experiencing is not what they call that PTSD that's associated with an earthquake, you know, that, that stress that, that, that follows that, that earthquake and the aftershocks. Maybe the thing that most of us in this room and those listening and watching online Maybe the thing that we're dealing with is actually what I would call a post-traumatic financial disorder. Because most of us would agree that our finances over the last 17 months have been impacted. But let me tell you, something that's really interesting when it comes to what we're going through right now. I mean, think about it. I talk to people every day, and, and, and when you talk to people and the life they're living, some people would tell you, even going through what we've been through the last 17 months, they would tell you right now that their finances have never been better than they are right now. And then at the very same time, some of you would say you have never been worse off financially than you are right now. And, and the thing that's really interesting is that economists have given this whole thing that we've gone through a, a name. And, and they've actually called it a K-shape recovery. And the way that it's worked is this. The last 17 months is, is like initially, if you were on the top side of this recovery, yes, it impacted you. And, and slowly but surely, things kind of got back to normal. And now, for you in your life, things are up and to the right. So initially, the impact of the earthquake of, of COVID and what's happened since then, the aftershock since then, it, it impacted you initially. And, and again, you went down, but, but slowly and surely, things have gotten better, and now you're, you're up and to the right. But at the very same time, there are other people who initially... COVID, in fact, impacted their finances, and, and, and again, they, they got some stimulus money, they got some unemployment, and, and, and things started to go look a little bit better, but then the, the stimulus money and the, and the uh, unemployment ran out, and now things are headed back down. They've actually gotten worse. 
So here's the thing, whether you find yourself on the top of this or whether you find yourself on the bottom of this, most of us are still living with the fear of what is that next aftershock going to be? What's the next financial aftershock and how is that aftershock going to impact our life? So here's the thing you have to realize. The people who are doing well, they're still worried. And the people who aren't doing so well, they're worried. So here's the thing I want to do this morning. And I'm going to say this just like I mean it. I need to get a little personal with you. And again, sometimes it's not the most comfortable thing for the pastor to get really personal with people. But the thing that I need to tell you is that over the last 17 months, there have been some things that I have started to observe as what we've seen and the way people have lived their lives over these last 17 months. You see, when a financial earthquake comes, many people who are followers of Jesus, many people who claim to be a, a person of faith, those people actually become what I call an economic atheist. And again, an economic atheist is somebody who actually decides that, you know, I'm going to live my life outside the fence of God's favors. In other words, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live outside the fence. I'm talking about an economic atheist is somebody who has actually said yes to Jesus Christ. It's somebody who believes in God, who prays to God. They've been baptized. They may, be, they may read their Bible, they may be part of a small group, but there's something that actually sets them apart from other followers of Jesus Christ. An economic atheist is someone who believes that they can live outside the fence of God's favor. They are the person that says they will allow the very God of heaven to be the God over their soul. They will allow the God of heaven to be the God over their worries, to be the God over their addictions, to be the God over their wounds. But an economic atheist will not allow him to be God over their money. Now, I really need you to listen to me. Because here's the thing. If you walk and talk like somebody who believes in God. But if you handle your money like an atheist, if you say, I'm going to live outside of the fence of God's favor, then you have to understand that God is powerless when it comes to supernaturally blessing the financial area of your life because you've made a choice. And the choice that you've made is to live outside of the fence of God's favor. So this morning, I, I want to look at some scripture from, from, from a book that many of you have probably never, ever even read. Uh, we're going to spend our time looking at the book of Leviticus, where one of the things that I find interesting is in the book of Leviticus, God actually takes the time to provide fences 
that you and I can implement, that you and I can implement, and we can have these fences like the one you see behind me. We can have these fences in our lives. And the thing that's really interesting about the fences that God provides is that each one of those fences actually leads to life. Now, in the book of Leviticus, we find dietary fences. We find relationship fences. We find worship fences. We find ethical fences. And even in the book of Leviticus, there are economic fences. And listen to me this morning. I want you to hear me. All of these fences lead to a life that is full. So we're looking at chapter 18. And you can just follow along with us in your Bible, or you can see it behind me. Here's what we find in the book of Leviticus. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt. Now, now think about that just a moment. You must not do as they do in Egypt. What does that even mean? You must not do as the atheists did in Egypt. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm about to bring you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I'm the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and my laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. Now, again, you, you can read right past this. You can read right over this. But one of the things that God is doing, God is establishing a fence, just like you see here. And you know what I call that fence? It's the fence of his favor. That's what God is establishing in the book of Leviticus. And what God is doing in Leviticus and all the way through the New Testament that reinforces, reinforces many of these is to say, here's what I want you to do, Randy. I want you to live behind the fence. He's reinforcing the fact that when you choose to live your life behind the fences that he establishes, then you can understand and you can grasp that this is where life is found. If you want to live a life to the full, God says, I've established these fences. And life to the full is found when you live that life behind the fence. Inside the fence is where you find life. Inside the fence is where you're going to find blessing. But outside the fence is death. Outside the fence is cursing. Inside the fence is feasting. Outside that fence is famine. Inside the fence is where life is. But outside this fence is death. And if you ignore the fence of God's favor, now listen to me this morning. If you ignore the fence of God's favor, 
then God is powerless over this area of your life. The best, the best way for you to survive an economic earthquake in your life is for you to prepare for that earthquake when it happens. And how do you prepare? You prepare from within the fence of God's favor. That's how you prepare when an earthquake happens in your life. So today's message is really, it's really a way for me to help you to prepare. It's all about preparation. It's all about you preparing for the earthquake. And now it's already happened, but what's going to be the next earthquake or what's going to be the next aftershock? So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Scripture and we're going to look at what Scripture says. How do we prepare for the earthquakes? How do we prepare, prepare for the aftershocks? And this morning, I, I want to share with you what I... What what I believe two of these economic fences are. And, and they're actually fences that you find in Leviticus 19. And the first one probably doesn't impact many of you because this first fence applies to anybody here listening, watching, who's actually made an unwise purchase. Probably, probably not many of you. Unwise, unplanned, impulsive purchase. The, the, the fence I'm going to talk first about is it, it, it kind of it's kind of directed uh, at, at, you know, somebody that would go into Walmart and they're just going in there to look around and they come out with 10 things that they didn't even know they needed. The first fence applies to those of you who bought a gym membership and you never went to the gym. Here's fence number one. Fence number one we find in Leviticus 19. It's all about the budget. It's all about your budget. Fence number one is simply this. Live inside your budget. Leviticus 19 identifies three different groups of people who have budgets. So as I read this, see if you can identify those people who have budgets. Because again, the scripture tells us exactly who those people are. Look at it with me. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not hold back the wages of the hired worker. Now, there are three different budgets in the verses that you and I just read. The first one is the owner of the land. The second one is the poor and the foreigner. And the third one that's talked about in those verses is the hired worker. We see three different people, three different budgets that are found in those verses. And the thing that's really interesting about this is all throughout life, you're going to be faced with one of two different worlds. You're, you're going to have to make a choice. And, and, and the, the choice that you're going to have to make consistently throughout your life is simply going to be enough versus not enough. I mean, th that's all of us. 
It doesn't matter what your economic scale, it doesn't matter what your 401k, what your salary looks like. That's just something that everybody here and those watching and listening online, this is what we're going to be confronted with constantly. There are two different worlds, enough versus not enough. It doesn't matter where you find yourself on the economic scale. The temptation is always going to be to feel like as you live your life that you don't have enough. But what God is saying in Leviticus 19, he's speaking very specifically to those three different groups that I just isolated for you just a moment. He's telling each one of those groups, this is enough. This is enough for you. Live inside your budget. Let me think about that. Because oftentimes, now I want you to hear me because, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. Oftentimes, the financial pressure that all of us live under is a pressure that's actually self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted because many times you and I make the choice to live outside of our budget. And in doing that, that means we're trying to live on somebody else's budget. In other words, we thought it wasn't enough. Now think about that. Because that happens to the affluent. It happens to the middle class. And it happens to the poor. I mean, think about our country. Our nation can't even live inside its budget. And let me tell you this morning, listen, listen to me, that's not a political statement because here's the thing. Here's what I'm saying. I'm going to hit both sides of the aisle. When the Republicans are in, in control, they can't live inside a budget. When the Democrats are in control, they can't live inside a budget. It happens to both the Republicans and the Democrats. And it's easy for me to stand up here and bash the government and say the government needs to balance the budget. They need to live inside the budget. It's easy for me to say that, but that's really not what we're talking about. What about us? How can you and I actually live inside our budget like we're instructed to in Leviticus 19? Well, it starts by something that I've taught you before. If you've been around Crossroads at all, then you're going to be familiar that when I talk about finances, I've identified a plan. And honestly, the plan is very, very simple. And it's not only simple, it works. It's a plan that is based on the wisdom of God's word. And not only is it a plan that's based on the wisdom that we find in God's holy word, it's also a plan that is recommended by people who are Christians and they actually serve in the financial services area. They're experts in the area of finance. And again, the only reason why I ever reference this plan is because it's so simple. And not only as it, is it simple, at the very same time that I can tell you it's simple, the reason that I can tell you it's simple is because I know that it works. What's the plan called? The 10-10-80 plan. 
Some people call it the 10, 10, 80 plan. Some people call it the give, save, live plan. The first 10 is that you give the, t- you give the first 10% of any income you have to God. The first 10 is that you give any income that you get, any windfall that you have, you know, you sell something, you, you, you cash in stock, you know, you, whatever you do, you give the first 10% to God. You return to God the tithe. You give that by returning the tithe to God. You return that to the local church that you're connected to. You return that to the church that you're a part of. So the first 10 is, you know, you, you, I'm, I make $100 today. I'm going to give the first $10 of that. I'm going to return that back to God. And people say, wait, 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 wait. Why are you saying you're returning that? Why are you returning the tithe to God? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that $100 that I received was all his. And when you borrow something from someone, you return it to them. If, if, if I go over here and I say, John Sloan, I, I need to borrow a lawnmower this afternoon. And John says, you know, I mean, John is so good. He said, Randy, you know, I, I'm going to bring it over to you. And he loads it up on the trailer and he brings it over to my house and I mow my yard for a week and I don't ever call John. And then one day I say, John, you know, my wife and I have prayed about this. And we're going to give you this lawnmower. Well, I can't give it to him because it belonged to him in the first place. That's the very same way we have to understand about the money that is placed in our hands, the finances, the windfalls, the things that we are given. All of that belongs to God. So you're just returning the first 10% back to God. We return the first 10% to God because it's already His. I mean, that's why Malachi 3 says, will you rob God? Because it was already His. It already belongs to Him. Everything that you have belongs to God. But here's the thing. An economic atheist doesn't do this. Because they believe they're better off living outside of the fence of God's favor. They believe they're better off if they keep 100% without the favor of God in their life. Rather than 90% of their income with the supernatural blessing of the very God of heaven. So the first 10% you give to God. The first 10% you return to God. Now it says here the second 10% you save. You save. And you think, well, that, that sounds good. But I have to say it this way. Before you buy anything else, you save. Before you go to Best Buy and buy a, another flat screen television, Before you do anything else, before you buy another car, you put beside 10% and you save it. You put it in some kind of savings account, an investment account of some kind. 
And the reason why I'm telling you this works is because here's the thing. When you have savings, savings gives you margin. Savings gives you margin in your life. Saving is the thing that alleviates the pain because saving gives you freedom from pain because when something unexpected happens, you have something there to take care of it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You got to have a reserve. You got to have some savings. So you return, you give, you save, and then on the other 80%, you live. Give, save, live. You pay your bills, your taxes. You go out to eat. You go on vacation. And you do all the things that you want to do. You actually create your budget, not around 100%. You actually create your budget around the 80%. Then you know what you have to spend. My car payments, my house payments, insurance, everything comes out of the 80%. Create your budget around the 80%. Build your budget around that. That's what this plan is. Give, save, live. 10, 10, 80. But instead, that's not what we do. Instead of give, save, live, instead, we live on all of it. And if there's anything left after we've done all the things we want to do, then we save. And if there's anything after that, then we give. But here's the thing. To live inside the fence of God's favor to have the supernatural blessing of God on that area of your life, you return to God first. You give first because you want to get God involved in the finances of your life. And you do that by returning the tithes to Him. Then you save 10% because saving gives you margin. And then you live on the rest. And let me just tell you this morning, these are solid biblical principles. Am I right, those of you that know? Am I right? And let me tell you, parents and grandparents, these are the principles that you should be teaching your children. Because I am going to get political here. It doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. Your government is not going to teach these kind of principles because they can't even live on them. But as a parent or a grandparent, you should be helping to teach your grandchildren or your children to live within your budget. Live on this plan. Live on the 10-10-80 plan. Live on the give-save-live plan. Now listen, parents and grandparents. We have the responsibility to pass on biblical principles of what it means to be able to handle our money. And the reason that we want to do that is that we want our children to experience the supernatural blessing of God's favor in their life. So we pass those on. Fence number one, live inside your budget. Don't live inside somebody else's budget. Don't live in other people's budgets. Live inside your budget. 
Let's look at fence number two. Fence number two is what I call an economic fence. In other words, what God is telling us in the scripture that we're looking at, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, he's telling us it's an economic fence that I'm establishing in your life, and I'm establishing that because I want you to honor the economic cycle. It's an economic fence, and I need you to honor the economic cycle. And you say, well, what, what, exactly what is that? Well, again, we find that cycle right there in Leviticus 19. Look at what God says in Leviticus 19, verses 23, 24, and 25. It says, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, oh, look at this. This is good. In this way, your harvest will be increased. Come on, somebody. Who wants a harvest to be increased? In what we read, God is giving you insight into an economic cycle. He's giving you a way to increase your harvest. And, and many people read the Word of God, and I'm just going to go off here, I'm just going to tell you, they think God is always trying to get something from them. Let me tell you, friends, God is not trying to get something from you. God is trying to give something to you. That's what's actually happening here. Many of you don't understand why you've never been able to get ahead in your life financially. And God is saying here that I'm giving you a cycle. I'm giving you an economic cycle. And here's how that economic cycle actually works. So, grow, harvest. You sow, and it grows. And then you harvest. And it comes back around again. And you sow and you grow and you harvest. That's the cycle. Now, again, th these are clues to honor the fence of his favor and get on God's cycle, God's economic cycle. What, now, think about it this morning. What, what do you do when you sow? Think about it. What do, you, what do you do when you sow? You plow and you plant. And I want you to understand this morning, in every arena of life, there is a growing season. In every arena of life, there's a growing season. So in the sow phase, what you're going to do is you're going to plow and you're going to plant. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how old you are. There is a sow season. There is a sowing season. So what you do is you sow. You plow and you plant. And then you grow. Now, what does that mean? Growing means that there are going to be a time in your life, there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to have to wait. So what do you do in the growing season? You weed and you wait. You don't grow weeds, but if you do, make sure you tithe on that, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
In the growing season, you weed and you wait. And let me just tell you this morning, we hate to do both of those. If there's anything we hate to do, we hate to wait. Can I just tell you what I did? Generally, and I went out last night uh, for dinner, and uh, we went early. You know, I feel it really feeling like a senior citizen now. We went at 4 o'clock. But I went so I could avoid people. And we, we asked for something, and they told me it wasn't on the menu, that they didn't have it. And I just jumped to the next thing. And it reminded me of a, a, an instance, and Tim uh, Stockton is probably very aware of this because he went by there this morning. I went by Hardy's one day this past week to get a sausage and biscuits, and there was a sign on the drive-up thing that said, please be kind to our employees. And you just think what these employees are going through. Understaffed, short of product, and the good people of the church are going through there many times, giving them hell and acting like a rear end. People d- don't do that. That's also part of this season. When we're growing, we're weeding and we're waiting. I understand you don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. But God says that if you plant a tree, in the scripture we read, he, he said, if you plant a fruit tree, then you're going to have to wait three years for that growth to occur. Now think about that. It takes three years for the roots to, to get down deep enough and the branches to become strong enough so that that fruit tree can bear and hold up the fruit that it's producing. But did you notice something? Did you notice that in the fourth year, when you finally get some of the harvest, who does the first part of that harvest go to? It goes to the Lord. Because God says it's an offering of praise to him. Because he's the one who provided it to you to begin with. But then in the scripture that we read just a moment ago, it says that in the fifth year, if you honor God's economic cycle and you live behind the fence of his favor, you're going to be blessed with the harvest. And harvest is the time where we reap and we reward. Then you do, you take some of the blessings of the harvest and you sow and you grow and you harvest. It's the economic cycle. It happens over and over. So let's take a few minutes and think about this. Let let, let me start, not so much in this service, but the ones that might be joining us online. Let me start with 20-somethings. Let me speak to those of you who are in your 20s. If you're in your 20s here this morning, you need to understand whether you're here or listening or watching online. If you're in your 20s, You need to understand that your parents are sowing into you. Your parents are sowing into you. When you're in your 20s, you're you're not an asset to your parents. Instead, when you're in your 20s, you're more like a liability, and you're a liability because you cost a lot. Your parents are investing in you. Your church is investing in you so they can get you from the sow season to the grow season. 
and your 20s and 30s, now listen to me if you're in your 20s or even in your early 30s, if, if that's where you find yourself this morning, then you need to understand it's going to take a lot of weeding and waiting. So by the time that you get to your 40s and following, that's when you're going to get to this phase. That's when you're going to get to the harvest phase. Because here's the thing. This is the economic, uh, economic cycle of life. That's how it works when you choose to live your life inside the fence of God's favor. That's exactly what it looks like. Now think about it this way. Which one of these seasons do you like the most? I mean, it's harvest. The season that you like is the same season that I like. We love the harvest season because why? It's the reap and reward time. And we deceptively think that we should always experience harvest in our life. Life should always be about the harvest. I mean, we get so consumed that we actually start to look at it in a different way. We see life where we want it to be harvest, harvest, harvest. Harvest, harvest, harvest. And let me tell you, you can live your life that way. But if you live your life that way, you're going to end up bankrupting your life by buying things that you can't afford. Because without the sow phase and without the weeding and waiting of the grow phase, and just hoping for the reaping and the reward of the harvest phase, it's not going to happen. But you can write a different story this morning. And you can get behind the fence of God's favor. You can get behind the fence of God's supernatural blessing as it relates to the money and the finances in your life. You can write a totally different story. And you know, here's what I'm going to do in the upcoming weeks. If everything works like I hope it will, we're going to be able to offer to you Financial Peace University. That's Dave Ramsey's course in helping you handle the money that God has placed into your hands. And normally that costs about $149, $139, but we're going to be able to offer that to you at about a third of what it would normally cost. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is to keep an eye and listen to what I have to tell you over the next couple of weeks. And if that's something that you would like to be a part of, Financial Peace University, then we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. But can I tell you in the meantime what I'm, there, that there's something that I'm absolutely certain of? The thing I'm absolutely certain of is that the majority of people, now listen to what I'm saying because this gets really personal. The majority of people, the majority of the people that attend this church, they are living outside the fence of God's favor. 
in this area of their life. Because most people are living like an economic atheist. And you know what today is for me? It's, it's, it's my way of inviting you to get back behind the fence. To get back behind the fence of God's favor. If you walk and talk and act like a person who believes in God, but you handle your money like an economic atheist, then listen to what I'm saying. God is powerless to bless this area of your life. So my invitation to you this morning is that as it relates to the money that God has given you, live inside the fence of his favor. Live inside your budget. Honor the economic cycle of sow, grow, and harvest. Honor God with your first fruits. If God gives you $1,000, the first thing you do is give him 100 If God gives you $100, give him $10. If God gives you 100000 the very first thing you do is you return the tithe to him and you give him 10000 Take some of your harvest and sow more seed for more harvest. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, this morning we're honored to be able to look at the Scripture and to, to find the truths that are contained there. To see that you provide everything that we need as it relates to handling the things that you place in our hands. That if we want to experience the supernatural blessing that is available from you, God, in our life as it relates to our finances, then we simply have to live behind the fence of your favor. Live behind our budget. Live within our budget. Honor the cycle that you've given us. God, my hope this morning, my prayer this morning is that those of us in this auditorium and those listening and watching online, that we've truly experienced revelation. That we want to walk in the supernatural blessing that's available to us as it relates to our finances. That you're not trying, God, to get something from us. But instead, God, you're trying to give something to us. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Is that we pick up what you have given us. And we practice it as your people. We don't want to be an economic atheist. We want to be the people that you've called us to be. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.